Our favorite phrases are, Lord, why are you doing this? Or why have you allowed this to happen? But are we really asking a question? Or are we using this as a statement of complaint to hold the Lord in contempt instead of humbling ourselves to his leading or what he is doing? Thanks for tuning in to the Putnam City Baptist Church podcast. We hope this message encourages you wherever you might be. If you'd like to learn more about PCBC, visit us online at pcbc.tv. Good morning and welcome to Putnam City Baptist Church. We hope that you've had a wonderful week this week. And uh, as you are getting settled in this morning, we hope that we will uh, invite you to hear and understand an aspect that God has for us, has in store for us today. As you grab your Bibles, please turn to Judges chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4. You know, as we are dealing with the COVID incident and all the things that are going on around how uh, people are looking at this particular disease and and the things that are happening, how things are happening in our government, and literally how things are happening all around our world, there are some things that I hope this morning that the Lord will use me to maybe give you an insight on a perspective that you might not have looked at before. This morning I'm going to be, as we look in Judges chapter 3 verses 1 through 4, we're going to be looking at this perspective, when God tests. Now, uh, beginning at verse 1 it says, Now these are the nations which the Lord left to test Israel by them, that is, all who had not experienced any of the wars of Canaan only in order that the generations of the sons of Israel might be taught war, those who, not, who had not experienced it formerly. These nations are the five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites who lived in Mount Lebanon from Mount Behel Hermon as far as Lebanath. They were for, verse 4 says, they were for testing Israel to find out if they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers through Moses. The emphasis here is that they were for testing Israel to find out if they would obey the the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers through Moses. Verses 1 through 3 explains the premise by which this is being allowed to happen. And verse 4 gives the reason for the test defined. God had used many different situations and events in Israel's daily life to quote, unquote, test his chosen people. So let's look at that word test this morning. Webster's New World Dictionary gives gives these as definitions of the word test. I, I find the first one to be very interesting. It lists archaic. Second, it is an examination, experiment, trial, as to prove value or ascertain the nature of something. A method, process, or means used in making such an examination or trial. A standard or criterion by which the qualities of a thing are tried. An oath or declaration required as proof of one's orthodoxy or loyalty. For an event set of circumstances, etc., that proves or tries a person's qualities, such as the delay 
was a test of our patience. And five, a set of questions, problems, or exercises for determining a person's knowledge, their abilities, their aptitude, or their qualifications. And six goes to the chemical aspect, which is a trial or reaction for identifying a substance or ingredient. I also looked this word test up in the Cambridge Dictionary. And in the Cambridge Dictionary, I found out that where the world looks at uh, one particular aspect of testing uh, as lower on the ladder, Cambridge Dictionary took what is number five in New World and made it number one in theirs. It says, a way of discovering by questions, for practical activities, what someone knows or what someone can do or is like. Uh, they also listed it as a medical examination of part of your body in order to find out how healthy it is or what is happening with it. An act of using something to find out if it's working correctly or how effective it is. A situation that shows how good something is. But we wouldn't be finished if we didn't give the biblical definition. The Bible uh, definition of test, which is translated from the Hebrew, uh, from the Old Testament, bachan, uh, means to examine, to investigate, to prove, or to scrutinize. Let's look at examine. Proverbs 17.3 from the uh, NASB says, the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord, he tests our hearts. Psalms 26.2 says, examine me, O Lord, and try me. Prove me in the New King James Version. Test, try in the New King James Version, my mind and my heart. Psalms 139.23 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. It also says that the word test means to prove. Malachi 3.10, which is a verse that we all know very well, says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing until it overflows. When we look in the Greek, the Greek has a similar translation of the word test. The word is gakismo, which means to put to test, to prove, examine, and by implication, to approve. I think as we look at the next verses, we'll find out that we know that God is a God who does not change, so what he wrote in the Old Testament still stands in the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians 2 and 4 says, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. Revelation 3.10, when uh, John writes to the churches, he says, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. There's a huge testing that is coming to this earth. So one can easily come to the conclusion that to test means to examine closely, 
with the intent to prove or approve whomever or whatever is being tested. Testing, I think we all would say, is really a common thing that we do uh, to other things on a daily basis. We test our coffee to see if it's hot enough, our food to see if it's edible. All aspects of our life are surrounded by a means of testing something to see what it is. But I've come to find out that we ourselves, we don't like to be tested. Imagine that. We don't like to be put to the test. Our favorite phrases are, Lord, why are you doing this? Or why have you allowed this to happen? But are we really asking a question? Or are we using this as a statement of complaint to hold the Lord in contempt instead of humbling ourselves to his leading or what he is doing? I don't know about you, but I often get nervous about testing uh, because sometimes I find that I'm unprepared, uncertain of what I know, uh, afraid of failing like I'm feeling right now, afraid of why we are being tested. All of these come into play when we find ourselves under the microscope. But how are we going to be able to say that we know what we know if we are not challenged to prove or be approved of what we know? What we want to look at is how to receive God's testing of our faith while realizing that he loves us and only wants us to succeed. So the question is, why does God test us? Mold that over for a moment. Why does the Lord test his people? I've come to find out through reading scripture that God tests us because he loves us and he wants us to grow in faith and knowledge of him and not forget who he is or more important, how holy he is. First Peter 1 and 7 says, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of his son, Jesus Christ. When we look at the wording of Judges 3, 1 through 4, we see what God's intent through testing is. Now these are the nations which the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is all who had not experienced any of the wars of Canaan, only in order that the generations of the son of Israel might be taught war. Those who had not experienced it formerly. We see that in this verse, it seems that God is saying he wants to teach a generation who didn't know why they needed to be prepared to know how to fight. But also, he needed to teach them to trust God or to trust him for the outcome of the fight. To teach them who they are fighting for. But he also said he wanted to test the Israelites to see if they would continue to obey and follow God's direction. Unfortunately, our tendency is to desire 
our own way. I, I know that you don't have that problem, but I find myself suffering, suffering from that problem. The songwriter said, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the one I love. So Isaiah 53 and 6 tells us, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, his son, the iniquity of us all. If we go back to Judges 2, 7 through 10, we, we find out that the Israelites served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, who had seen all the great work of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. But like in many cases, when a leader is there to lead you, it's often easy. But verse 8 said that Joshua, the, the servant of the Lord, died. And after he died and they buried him in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Ganesh, verse 10 tells us that all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. So not only are we looking at the aspect of what happened after Joshua died, but we're also looking at what happened after that generation died, that generation that was a part of the group that saw, that, was, that made it through the wilderness, that part of that group that came into the promised land, and a part of that group that the Lord had used to fight and to cleanse that portion of the land. They're all gone. He says... We see the end of one era and the beginning of another, not as prepared as the previous generation. After Joshua and that generation had passed away, uh, as we have read in verses 8 and 9, the generation that had watched the previous generation die off in the wilderness due to their disobedience, the ones who God had used as his tool to clear out and cleanse this new land of promise, the ones who had witnessed God's ability to give the enemy into their hands and had learned to trust God and his word, that generation is now gone. And verse 10 says, there arose another generation, different in thought and different in outlook. They didn't show up overnight, but through the process of time. As time goes on, and all, and all you know is plenty, you become one-sided about how things work. Remember, this new generation had seen, any, had seen anything but peace, nothing but peace and pleasure. So over a period of time, they began to push against the fence, a fence that was there to keep evil out, not to keep them confined. Verse 6 says, and they took their daughters for themselves as wives and gave their own daughters to their sons, talking about the, the Canaanites and the Hivites and the, those uh, who were still left in the land. And what usually happens is, is when that takes place, when you begin to go against what God says and and you begin to do things like that, they were influenced to serve 
the gods of the Canaanites. And then we see that verse, uh, the beginning of that verse of 7, which says, they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They traded the one true God. Traded the one true God for what looked to them like a better deal. Even though they didn't have the capacity to, distinct, to literally distinguish what that should look like. What they did was is described in Romans 1, 21 through 23, where it says, for even though they knew about God, they did not honor him as God, nor did they give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And as a consequence of their stiff-necked determination, verse 24 of Romans says of that same chapter, therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the women and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing what was evil toward one another. Indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And verse 28 and the following, I... I as I, as I, as, you know what, as I look through this and as I read through this, I'm, I, I realize this was written over 2,000 years ago. But you can't help but to think that it seems to be reading like yesterday's newspaper, like information that just came about today. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, as verse 28 says, any longer God gave them over to depraved minds, to do those things which are not proper. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, e evil and full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. He says they are gossips. We are slanderers. We are haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Without understanding, we're untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. 
I don't know about you, but I, I see that happening each and every day now. I see as individuals are giving in to the evils of this world. And man is literally saying, what God said doesn't matter anymore. Do what you want. It's okay. It wasn't overnight, but the more prosperous we got, the more we seem to think that we don't need God. At least that is what we say to justify getting the things that we want. You see, we have twisted what we learned from Psalms 23.1 where David said, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. But we visualize it in the wrong context. David wasn't just talking about the physical, but that he had learned that God was his all and all. So it covered not only his physical, but it also covered the spiritual aspects of the things that he needed. And because he had God's power, God's protection, and God's provision, he knew he didn't need anything else. God needed to show Israel that they wouldn't be able to make it without him. So he allowed them to fall into sin with the tribes he chose to use to chastise them. God is showing us that we can't make it without him either. We have turned our back on God and have gone after the gods of pleasure, power, and prosperity. But I'm here to remind you this morning that God is not pleased with the way we have gone. It seems that he has maybe begun to test us to see if we will return to him or, be, or whether or not we'll be stiff-necked and try to get ourselves out of this jam on our own. I'm here to let you know Jesus Christ is greater than anything that we can ever face. John uh, 16 and 33, you find these words. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. And if he has overcome, then we can overcome through him if we are willing to trust in him and what he has already done on Calvary's cross for us. I remember Elijah telling the children of Israel, choose today who you will give your loyalty to. The one who overcame, or you can continue to be a slave to the selfish life that has already dragged you down. I don't know about you, but I am overcoming with Jesus Christ. Why don't you make the choice? to do the same.
even though we deal with the difficulties of life that are facing us each and every day. There is a God who desires to have fellowship with you. There is a God who loves you despite who we are. There is a God who has put forth a plan by which you can be reconciled to him. But it's not going to be the way you want to do it, but rather it has to be the way that he has put forth for it to be done. Jesus came to fulfill the promise, or I should say, all the promises that God put forth about how man would be reconciled to himself. He came, and he came and he lived a perfect life. He died as a perfect lamb, shed his blood on Calvary, and then rose again on the third day. And he did all of that for you, for you, for you, and for me. And all it takes is for you to surrender to him, to allow him to come in and be Lord of your life, to invite him in to forgive you of your sins and say, Lord, make me new. Let me be made new so I can live eternally with you. Some might say, Pastor, that's just too simple. You may think it's too simple, but I'm here to tell you that's the only way it's going to happen. You can't work your way in. You can't merit your way in. But you can fall on your knees this morning and say, Lord, here am I. Save me. Rescue me from the perils of my selfishness. Rescue me from the perils of this life so that I may be able to live with you eternally. That's all it takes this morning. I'm going to begin to pray. And I'm hoping that you're going to pray along with me. And ask God to come in and take control of your life. So would you join me this morning? Father, we come this morning and we just give you praise and we give you honor and we give you glory. Some may be focusing, Lord, on trying to really comprehend who you are. I pray that you might open their hearts and minds so that they might see you this morning, Lord. And that, Father, you might receive them right where they are. For none of us, Lord, can clean ourselves up to come to you. 
and that, Father, they might just in total humility present themselves as they are to you and cry out, Lord, save me. Because I know, Father, if they do, you will receive them. And so, Father, as simple as it is, I pray that they might take the opportunity to do so this morning. And I know that as that is taking place and as that is happening, heaven is rejoicing over those who are committing their life to Christ and walking away from the old sinful selfish life that had them burdened down. So, Father, I pray that you might receive them this morning. In your precious name, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, I hope that some of you who did that this morning will take the time to contact our online pastors and let them know what has taken place in your heart this morning and how God has come in and changed you from the inside out. Now, may the Lord watch over you and may he keep you. And go forth and infect and affect everyone that you come in contact with, with the love and the compassion of Christ. May you have a blessed week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for spending time with our church family. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, visit us online at pcbc.tv. There you can also contact us and find out how to connect with us through social media channels. And visit pcbc.tv slash podcast to listen to additional messages from Putnam City Baptist Church.